Hello, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 10 of Fire Away, Redner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Brittany Taylor. I am an employment lawyer and partner at Redner Law and your host of this episode of Fire Away. Fire Away streams live online every month, and if you missed an episode or want to watch one again, they are always available on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, LinkedIn, and of course on our website. Today I'm joined by Jacqueline Bart and Serge Boudreau. Jacqueline is a Canadian immigration law specialist and the managing partner of Bart Law LLP. Serge is president of Seeds and Trees Talent Studios, as well as the creator and host of the Recruitment Flex podcast. Together, we're going to be talking about remote work and the legal implications of recruiting and managing employees who are outside of Ontario, or more significantly, outside of Canada altogether. Thank you both for joining me. I think this is going to be a really great discussion. I'm really excited about it. All right, so let's let's get back into talking about this. So the the pandemic definitely created a situation where a lot of employers for the first time had employees working remotely. Uh, many businesses are actually not returning to the office full time or at all. Um, and in some cases, employees may have actually relocated during the pandemic because they were working remotely and now they're working from their cottages or you know we've even seen situations where workers have moved out of the province or out of the country entirely and i think the other thing the other change that we're starting to see or that we have seen is employers starting to realize that if their business is remote they're not restricted to a set geographic area when it comes to searching for talent. So today I want to talk a bit about some of the pitfalls that employers need to watch out for in these kinds of situations. So the first question I want to pose to both of you is whether you are both seeing in your work an increased interest from employers in exploring talent from outside of their immediate area. And uh, maybe Jacqueline, we'll start with you. Absolutely, Brittany. Uh, there's definitely a real interest in hiring from abroad. We're really seeing that since the pandemic has become slightly more under control. We'll see what happens in the future. But the reality is that employers really are desperate for talent and they're not getting it from Canada. So they have to hire it from abroad. And so we're doing a tremendous amount of uh, work permits for people in the IT sector, uh, even truck drivers, um, uh, also poultry workers, uh, farm workers, uh, people that are very high skilled, like executives and people who are very low skilled. Uh, so it's, it's quite a dynamic and fluid system right now, but never in the history of Canada have we needed more workers, both skilled and unskilled. That's very interesting. And I think a, a really, really uh, interesting point that I think a lot of people may not realize is a lot of the times when we think about recruiting talent from outside of Canada, um, we're thinking about those really technical jobs or really high end jobs. So it's interesting to hear that that's not actually the case. The, there's actually a really mm -hmm. broad spectrum in mm -hmm. terms of the type mm -hmm. of workers yeah. who are being recruited from outside of Canada. Um, and I know, Serge, you're actually seeing a lot of the opposite, right, where people are looking for Canadian workers who are maybe outside of Canada. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone's in the same position that we're all looking for talent no matter where you are in the world. And we're seeing companies looking at Canada, especially in the tech sector, and seeing the level of talent that we do have here. 
and they're like, let's go there. There's talent available. There's obviously currency advantages if you're in the US. So people are driving and trying to find the talent wherever they are. Uh, but to your point, Jacqueline, we're seeing every sector. So I talk a lot about the tech sector, but we're seeing it in everything from even service is, is trying to recruit people and what's the easiest way to get a hold of them. And obviously there's a lot of challenges of bringing employees to Canada to be full-time employees or even contractors. Well, what's interesting is a lot of U.S. companies are starting operations in Canada because they yeah. find that technological workers, IT workers, people with software, hardware, engineering experience are more prevalent uh, in Canada and they're easier to hire to Canada from, say, places like India or China, who have the, which have tremendous schools. And, uh, and these tech workers are very, um, very in demand right now. So what we're seeing is Canada and specifically Toronto becoming a silicon hub for tech workers throughout North America. It's, uh, it's much easier to bring in foreign workers to Canada generally than the US, as long as it's, it's a genuine business in Canada, serving Canadian clients. Yeah, we, we've seen a lot of that. We've seen there's obvious advantage when it comes to just a skill level, but also you think about uh, just a time zone. There's not a major time zone difference if you're looking between the, well, there's none between U.S. and Canada. So they're looking at Toronto as being a hub, but we're also seeing markets outside of Toronto across the country be hubs for tech because in the past if you lived in the middle of nowhere Ontario you usually and you had a very specific skill set you had to go work at maybe the local convenience store because that's all that was available in that local town but now if you are a software developer they will hire you everywhere you are so the game has changed completely and uh, I think it started changing way before the pandemic across all sectors really the pandemic really accelerated and also showed a lot of companies hey we can hire remote there's no difference let's change our management style let's focus on outcomes instead of you being at your desk nine to five and that's how i measure how productive you are so companies have seen the shift we're, we're definitely going to see that continuing for the foreseeable future especially in this labor economy that we're seeing right now I think that's an excellent point about the the pandemic accelerating something that was already there. We were already seeing, um, you know, people, businesses starting to look outside of their immediate geographic area in terms of recruitment. But I think it really was an eye opening um, 18 months or so for employers where they realized, oh, hey, actually, a lot of our work can be done remotely, which opens up a lot of doors. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you both this. What does a Canadian company have to consider when they're looking to bring in workers from outside of Canada? What are some of the things that they need to be alert to from a legal perspective, from a um, talent acquisition perspective? What are kind of some of the, the top things that they need to be thinking about when they start to get interested in this prospect? So when you're bringing in foreign workers to Canada, the most important thing is to ensure that uh, you obtain a work permit for them. Uh, they can't come to Canada and work illegally. Sometimes if they're coming in for a short period of time, a visitor record is sufficient because there are a number of exemptions for people who are coming in for short 
periods of time to install equipment that was purchased for from a foreign manufacturer uh, and they have expertise on that equipment for example but uh, the reality is that there's 500 different work permit and work permit exempt categories in Canada and if you don't find one then you can't bring in your foreign workers so generally speaking HR always speaks to uh, legal in order to ensure that they can bring in their their foreign workers on work permits and then once they get the go-ahead they offer them employment or alternatively they can offer them employment conditional on obtaining a work permit and then if if it's impossible then they'll tell the employee that it's not possible so it can work either of those two ways but the work permit is key yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's something that um, perhaps some employers don't don't realize that this this is a requirement that has to be in place, that you have to be legally eligible to work in Canada. And when you've got somebody who is a citizen, who is a permanent resident, you don't have to worry about those things. But when you're looking at a foreign worker, then yes, you do need to make sure that you've got those kind of work permits in place. Exactly. I can't believe there's that many different work permits. <laughs> Are there any resources for employers to, other than going to speak with an immigration lawyer, which of course we fully recommend. Um, but are there any resources for employers to try to ascertain where do I even start? Uh, yes, like what am I yes. looking at? <laughs> yes, they can go on the, the uh, immigration website. Uh, so, uh, and, and there is a whole uh, international mobility program on the immigration website. Generally, the, 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 uh, primary way to attract foreign workers to Canada and to, to bring them in under work permits is through a labor market impact assessment. But that requires advertisements. So the labor market impact assessment process, the labor market impact assessment based work permits, there's a number of exemptions under that particular general rule where advertising isn't required, but you still need to get a labor market impact assessment. I've written books on how to avoid the labor market impact assessment process because it is very onerous if you have to advertise. Uh, but in addition to that, there's about 500 different other categories under the uh, International Mobility Program, and those are on the IRCC website, but perhaps sometimes it's not as clear as it should be uh there's out of those 500 programs there's uh free trade agreements and some of the free trade agreements are extremely generous uh one country where we have a very generous free trade agreement for example is peru it's probably one of the most open free trade agreements and it's surprising because it's peru but we've been bringing in a lot of foreign workers from peru we've got free trade agreements with costa rica we've got them with chile uh, Colombia, uh, obviously the U.S. and Mexico, um, Korea, um, Europe, and now the U.K. So we've got a lot of them, and they're very useful. But there are, again, there there are various other categories as well. Right. So, um, well, yeah. this would definitely, if I was an employer, I would definitely be calling an immigration lawyer to help me work my way through all of that. It sounds very complex. Um, so what about, um, Serge, from a non-kind of legal perspective, when you are recruiting or you're trying to attract talent from outside of Canada, what are some of the things that an employer should be considering or, or maybe think about in advance? 
Well, I think Jacqueline had excellent points of what you need to do. And and the first thing where I'm more concerned is the small to medium business that might not understand completely what are the ramifications of going ahead and hiring someone without the proper documentation. So do get an immigration lawyer or someone that is extremely knowledgeable on what the laws are just to cover yourself. But as uh, talent acquisition and coming and looking at where we can get talent is understanding the where you're recruiting, understanding what the type of skill set that you're looking for and what potential arrangements can you make. A lot of companies are doing nearshoring or offshoring type of agreements, which fall into a different category in a lot of ways. But there's you have to be very conscious. But it, it doesn't change what talent acquisition professionals are looking for. We're looking for people that can be highly competent and execute on the job. It doesn't matter as much as where you are now, but putting all of that in context, if you don't have your legal T's dotted, your T's crossed and your I's dotted, um, don't move forward. Uh, it's something that you definitely don't want to wade yourself into if you don't know what you're doing. So go see an expert in that end. Excellent advice. And actually, uh, with that in mind, uh, Jacqueline, why don't you tell us about the consequences for employers who don't comply? So, I mean, this could include a situation where an employer knows that somebody doesn't have a work permit and is employing them anyway, or even a situation where an employer is told there's a work permit in place and then later finds out that that's not correct or that the work permit is expired or something like that. What are the what are the consequences of a situation like that for an employer? Yeah, so under the Immigration Act, uh, Section uh, 124, not to get too boring here about the sections <laughs> of the Immigration Act, uh, employers are deemed to know whether uh, they, uh, they need to obtain a work permit for an employee or whether the employee should have a work permit to work for them. And if the employer uh, does not obtain the correct documentation, there's fines up to 50,000 uh, or imprisonment for a term of uh, two years or less. Uh, imprisonment rarely happens. I think it's happened once uh, in the history of Canada. So people don't necessarily need to worry about that. But uh, in addition uh, to, to, to the, uh, the IRPA fines, the, the Immigration Act fines, there's uh, sanctions and penalties, administrative sanctions and penalties uh, under the regulations. So for example, administrative monetary penalties from 500,000 Five, sorry, five, $500 to 100000 per violation to a maximum of $1 million per annum per employer. Um, and uh, in addition, the penalties would include periods of inel ineligibility for future work permits and labor market impact assessment applications under the various programs, the immigration programs. It could be permanent, it could be for a year, it could be up to 10 years, uh, including the revocation and cancellation of existing and pending work permits and LMIA applications for people who are in Canada uh, or on the, are on their way uh, to Canada. And then in addition to that, the penalties include a publication, then shaming and blaming by way of a public website, setting out what the employer did wrong, what the fines were, uh, and what uh, the sanctions uh, that were applied against the employer were. So 
uh, it's it's pretty uncomfortable. And if employers who are outside of Canada hire employees in Canada and pay them, uh, and it's not considered remote work, these uh, legal sanctions apply extraterritorially. So uh, under the Section uh, 135 of the ERPA acts or omissions under the the these particular non-compliance provisions, uh, if if committed outside of Canada, are also punishable, uh, tried and punishable in Canada. And so the extraterritoriality of these provisions is pretty significant. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that if employers bring in someone to Canada and say, oh, just come for meetings. Um, what happens is uh, if the employee gets caught and the employer gets caught, that's considered misrepresentation uh, or aiding and abetting of misrepresentation. So if the employee is actually coming in to do consulting or IT work or uh, something that requires a work permit and they're lying at the port of entry and they're saying they're just coming in for a meeting or they're visiting, uh, an officer receiving training or something that wouldn't require a work permit, the, 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 the fines and jail terms are substantial. They're uh, 100,000 uh, per, uh, per, per event, as well as five years uh, in prison. And in addition, the issuance of a removal order uh, and for the employee. So, and we've seen situations where employees have sued the employer uh, because the employer encouraged them to, to lie. And, uh, as a, and as a result, it's been quite a substantial legal action for the employer because of the damages suffered for a foreign employee who can no longer come to Canada, even with another employer. Uh, so it's interesting to see um, uh, how uh, employers are dealing with these new sanctions. And I think uh, over the course of the last uh, six years, since uh, 2015, we've seen a tremendous change in attitude by employers and uh, a lot of um, forward thinking in terms of, well, we've got to make sure immigration compliance is, is, is quite critical. And the important thing is that unlike the Tax Act, where the sanctions can be substantially less, um, and uh, there's not not terms of imprisonment, um, and very rarely are employers audited by comparison. Under the Immigration Act, one in four employers are audited. So wow. uh, the regularity of auditing is quite substantial. And so employers, if they are audited, there's a, a number of steps that uh, we recommend that they take immediately to minimize the sanctions and to minimize the, the naming and shaming on the public web, website, et cetera. But right. uh, uh, now, just like tax lawyers, uh, employers and tax tax departments in, at, uh, at companies, and we're seeing a lot of employers who have set up immigration uh, sections to their companies as well to right. advise on, on immigration law. So we're really seeing an interesting trend here develop in terms of the um, expertise that companies have on immigration. And a lot of companies don't even have uh, regular uh, immigration lawyers. What they do is they, they rely on their, the expertise of their team. 
Right. So, well, I mean, well, it sounds like it. they're very likely to get caught if they're not following the rules. And the sanctions are hugely significant, uh, both from a financial perspective, but also from a future consequences perspective, right. uh, which Yes. is which is huge. And I think, um, you know, a lot of employers have no idea that the consequences are that significant. So I think this is really, really crucial information for employers to have. What about situations, and we've been talking a lot about bringing employees in, um, you know, what about a situation, this is something we deal with a lot of in the employment law context, is when an employer tries to, to categorize somebody as a contractor. So they say, no, no, I'm not hiring somebody to work for my business. I'm not hiring an employee. I just need somebody to provide services to me. as an independent business. Um, and, you know, because this person has the expertise I need, that's the person that I want to retain. So are the rules different when we're talking about recruiting contractors as opposed to employees? Not from an immigration perspective, if you're recruiting a contractor, they still need to meet certain requirements and different sections of law and policy apply to contractors. But by and large, the application of the law is very similar. So it doesn't make a difference. A lot of employers think, well, if we have a contractor, it's going to be a lot easier. They're responsible for their work permit. No, the employer still needs to sponsor the work permit and still make commitments. And the employer in Canada would be audited on those commitments. That's really interesting. I mean, I think that in employment law, we definitely have a significant distinction between what an employee is entitled to versus what a contractor is entitled to. Now, of course, that, of course, gets into a whole other conversation of are they actually a contractor? Or they've been disguised as a, a contractor when they're really an employee. But it's really interesting to know that from an immigration perspective, it doesn't matter. It's if you're doing the work, then you need to have a work permit. That's really fascinating. And Mm -hmm. Mm um, -hmm. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jacqueline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when, oh, I was just going to say, when bringing employees into Canada, um, sometimes people come in for remote work and it's such a trend right now, remote work. And so Canadian employers are allowing their foreign, their, their employees to go to foreign jurisdictions and work. And it's so important to, for, for employers to ensure that these employees are legally allowed to work remotely from foreign jurisdictions. And it's a real issue for Canadian employers and, and they need to have some policy surrounding that, that issue and, and check to ensure that there's, there's compliance with the law in those jurisdictions, particularly if the employer has an office in those jurisdictions. Similarly, when individuals come to Canada and are working remotely, say for a French office, but there is a subsidiary in Canada, that remote work may not be legal if there's collaboration between that employee and the Canadian subsidiary. So these kinds of situations need to be carefully assessed. Uh, and, and HR departments have never had such a hard time dealing with employees as now with remote work from an immigration perspective, and I'm sure from an employment perspective as well. Absolutely. It's it's certainly been a very interesting time with a, a lot of our clients uh, who had, you know, like I said, no idea that remote work was something that was feasible for their business. And now they're developing, you know, very extensive remote work policies because nobody's coming back to the office anytime soon or they're going to be coming back, you know, on a temporary basis where it's, you know, or a staggered basis where it's two days a week in the office, three days at home. So, yeah, definitely we've seen a massive change there, and I think it is getting more complicated for employers.
Um, so Serge, I want to ask you about uh, some tips that you would give to a Canadian employer or a Canadian worker who's looking to either recruit outside of Canada or maybe looking for a job, like wants to start looking for employment outside of Canada. Do you have any tips or tricks that you would offer? Well, there's a couple of things that we have to realize. The world has changed. So yes, you can be looking for work outside of the country or as a company, you can be looking for workers outside the country. But there's still fundamentals that you, you have to follow as far as what are the key skill sets you're looking for. And where, like remote for me has changed a lot of how we look at even the Canadian market because like to give you an example, I'm in Alberta. Do I recruit for my team in Alberta? No, I don't. Generally, most of the recruiting I'm doing because the labor market here is so tight, so it is in, in Ontario, I'm focusing on Atlantic Canada. So it, there is a lot of those different areas you can be recruiting within your own country. So I would, on my personal advice is I would look at the great talent that we have in Canada that might be more mismatch. I was talking a little bit earlier as far as a skill set that is maybe not popular in a particular area, but now it doesn't matter as much. So you finding those people in potentially remote areas is, is the first thing I would look at. And after listening to Jacqueline and understanding of the limitation and the challenges that when it comes to recruiting outside of the country, you got to make sure that you've got it covered, that you're doing it correctly, and also that they can work correctly. If you followed everything, you've brought in everyone legal, they're also, you have to put in context, how do you mix in with your teams? How do you match to make sure that the people coming in are coming into a culture that is diverse, inclusive, so they feel welcome, that they're coming into an environment where they can prosper? Because it's, it's the major challenge, even if you're remote, to come work for a Canadian company if you're living across the world. So those are all factors that you, you have to take in context when you're looking at employees, contractors, where you recruit. But don't forget about Canada. We've got some great potential employees in markets that we have not gone after until now. So I, I love seeing it. I love seeing Atlantic Canada because I'm born there. I love seeing these people be given opportunities of working for companies in Toronto or in Vancouver that they would never have had that opportunity in the past. So. Again, make sure you're following the law. Uh, obviously, I, I think that's critical. But when it comes to looking at skill sets and everything, make sure the environment is ready to welcome and make those people successful. No, I think that's a really, really important point is, is make sure that you're ready for, for what yeah. you're trying to go after. Make sure that you're prepared for that. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I think you make a great point about there being talent all across Canada um, and perhaps uh, some untapped talent in some areas that are less populated uh, or areas that we, we don't tend to think of as, as recruitment hubs that we would tend to go after. Um, so I think that's a really interesting point. And, and I guess the, the benefit of that, of course, is then you don't have to deal with these immigration issues, right? You're, you're all, you're working within Canada. Everybody's in Canada. Uh, so you don't have to worry about the shame list <laughs> or, or going to jail or anything like that. But the only thing you do have to worry about from an employment perspective, of course, is that we we do have slightly different employment laws depending yeah. on where you are in Canada, right? So, so we are generally similar, except for Quebec. They are different. They are in their own little world. Um, but generally, things are similar. But there, there are differences, and th those differences can make 
a, a, a huge impact on what your contracts look like, what your policies have to include. So that's just something that I think every employer wants to keep in mind is don't be afraid to hire talent outside of where you are. But also consider that wherever that worker is working, that's the law. That's the employment law that's going to govern the relationship. So you have to be ready for that. Exactly. Well, I mean, I told you guys this would go by really fast. We're almost out of time already. I do want to ask you one last question, which is what do you think recruitment is going to look like five years from now? Well, if we look at recruitment, and it's been shifting for, for five, 10, 15 years we're really seeing uh, major challenges. This is probably the most challenging recruitment market in history, or at least since Y2K. And it's affecting every potential sector as well. It's affecting tech, service, industry. Uh, we're seeing it across the board. And part of it is driven by a fundamental shift in what people are looking for work. With the pandemic, what we've seen is women are not coming to the workforce again, as quickly as we expecting them to be. And there's health concerns, childcare concerns. So that's one of the things when you're trying to recruit right now, make sure you're addressing those concerns and don't give me some BS answers as far as what you think they wanna hear. In reality, show the proof. If you say you're a diverse and inclusive employer, show me how you are. If you're uh, a great place for someone with a family to work, show me the proof of uh, of that exactly. So. I think in the next five years, we're going to continue seeing a dramatic shift across the board. People are reconsidering what they want to do. The pandemic has really changed the mindset of so many people, and it's it's a fact. The great resignation is happening, and people are finding different ways to do work. They're looking at freelance. They're looking at other elements that they can incorporate their work-life balance. A lot of people don't want to go in the office again. If I'm living in Toronto, I'm commuting two hours each way because I'm in Hamilton. I'd rather spend those four hours with my three young kids than commuting. So employers are going to have to adapt. The environment for recruitment and acquiring new talent in organizations is not going back. It's The dial has been turned. So if you don't adjust right now as a company, you are going to be in a very tough position now and five years from now. That's an excellent point. I think you're absolutely right about that, that this has caused a kind of shift uh, for a lot of people to reconsider what they want to do, how they want to spend their time. Um, you know, the the importance, I think people were reminded of the importance of having their own time, spending time with family and friends. So I, th I think that's a really excellent point. Uh, Jacqueline, what about your thoughts? Well, I think that uh, immigration is going to fundamentally shift to uh, temporary workers, and we're going to have a shift to uh, less skilled workers. Uh, we're having difficulty right now uh, recruiting servers, living caregivers, people in construction, uh, people in low-skilled jobs that nobody wants to do in Canada. And so I think we're going to see a real shift, and we're going to see a lot of foreign workers coming in under those positions. And since Canada is not a country that believes in exploiting uh, the foreign workers, I do anticipate that there will be routes and more routes, additional routes to permanent residents for low-skilled workers, because right now they're very restricted. 
very interesting. Uh, I think that that's also an excellent point. Uh, and I, I, I hear you on the trying to recruit servers that like I've got a lot of clients who are really struggling with uh, with that. I have a lot of people who left and, you know, changed jobs because they were on layoff or they were on infectious disease emergency leave for months and months. And so they said, you know what? I'm going to retrain, I'm going to go do something else, or I'm going to change my perspective on what I'm looking for. So I think that's an excellent point as well. Okay, well, that is all the time we have for season four, episode 10. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. And thank you to Jacqueline and Serge so much for joining me today. This was a fabulous discussion. And I feel like we could keep talking for hours and hours about this, this topic. So maybe we'll have to have, to have to have you come back at some point to just talk more about this issue. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Thank no, you, you're so welcome. Thank you for joining us. All right. So at Rudner Law, we wanted people to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than assumptions. I invite you to keep up to date on employment law issues by following our social media, subscribing to our newsletter. And although we are making progress on the COVID front, you still need to keep up to date on workplace issues relating to the pandemic and particularly post lockdown issues by checking out our COVID-19 Resource Center, which is available on our website. As we always say, though, none of that replaces legal advice, which is tailored to your specific circumstances. If you think you need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, as I mentioned before, past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, and archived on Facebook and LinkedIn. And if you like our page or subscribe to our channels, you will receive notifications when the episodes are live. Thanks so much to Rob, Rebecca, and Mark for helping put the show together. Great job as always, guys. See you next time.